Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. For some time, the Lord's been dealing with me to do a series of messages on end times, things pertaining to the end times. And so, uh, my goal is to take the next three weeks and to do that. And if you saw my video I sent out, uh, hopefully you're, you're familiar with that. I'm going to go off and take a break, and uh, it's very, very likely that when I get back, I'm going to continue this series. So I'm going to leave you in good hands with Evan and Pastor uh, Terrence, and, uh, but when I get back, uh, I'm probably going to continue this. I think we need to look at this. You say, well, what, what's the point? If it's things that are going to happen in the, in, the, in the future, does it matter? Yes, it does, because that's our hope. That's our hope. We don't live for the here and now alone. We live in the present, but we look forward to the future. Y'all, this isn't as good as it gets. And if you think this is as good as it gets, you've already been sucked in to the spirit of this world. Okay? And so we need to understand that while we're in this world, we're not of this world, and there are better things, just like the book of Hebrews talks about better things. There are better things that await us. And I'm not going to give up on them, and I'm not going to say, well, I, you know, everybody's been talking about this for years. You know, I'm, I, I'm well, you know, when's it going to happen? My grandparents were talking about this. Listen, lots of, we've been talking about this for 2,000 years. Okay, so forget your grandma and your grandpa. We've been talking about the coming of the Lord for 2,000 years. Okay, but just because he hasn't come yet doesn't mean he's not coming. Okay, they were looking for the Messiah for. A long, long time, hundreds of years. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God has a calendar. And on that calendar, there are things that are going to take place. And so we have to be patient. It is not our job to say, Lord, get on my calendar, my schedule. It is our job to say, Lord, whatever your calendar is, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Just come and get me out of here. I'm ready to go. So we need, we need to talk about these things. And so today, I, I want to begin with a message. This is very unusual, very different for me, because I'm an exegetical preacher. I take a topic, a, a scripture rather, from the Bible, and I preach that scripture. Uh, sometimes I do topical preaching, but this is much more topical today, yet I will be using scriptures. But hopefully it is a message that all of us can relate to, because it is a message I have entitled, Where is America in Bible prophecy. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to begin by saying to you that I think, and I know it's it's arguable, but I I think it's pretty solid, very much grounded, that America, if you allow me to, to word it this way, is a blessed nation. This is a blessed land. If you have never traveled outside of the United States, then you have tunnel vision. And there are people that are attacking our nation and trying to say we're a terrible place, they need to get on a plane and go with me to some third world countries, and when they come back, they might have a little better perspective. This is a blessed land. You are blessed that you were born and raised, if you were born and raised, some of you were not, but in the United States of America. There are freedoms here. There are things here that other countries do not have. Just go north to Canada. You know, go up there and see how you like it. Uh, go, go down to Mexico, South and Central America, and, and tell me how things are compared to here. Why, why is it they're all leaving there trying to get here? And it's because we are a blessed nation. The USA has only 4.25% of the world's population, but it contains more than 50% of modern businesses that characterize civilization. We're a blessed nation. Our country is only approximately 250 years old, and yet we are a world superpower, and we have outstripped the wealth, power, and influence of all ancient and modern civilizations. That's not something, as we say in the vernacular, that's not something to sneeze at. So why are we such a blessed nation? I don't want to talk about GDP and GNP and technological advances and Silicon Valley and the amount of of natural resources that we have in the country, all of those things tell me me why we're blessed, but it doesn't tell me how we're blessed. 
or maybe it's how we're blessed, but not why we're blessed. So why are we a blessed nation? I'm going to approach this from a spiritual point of view. I'm going to approach this as a preacher. I'm going to give you three reasons why I think we're a blessed nation. Number one, we're a launching pad for world missions. We're a launching pad. The United States of America is a launching pad for world missions. Three quarters of missionaries' money and material aid for missions have been provided by the United States in the last century. Three quarters. Think about that. After World War II, you might not know this, 1,800, 1,800 missions agencies were started in America, and these organizations sent out more than 350,000 missionaries to spread the gospel around the world. 95% of the world's population has access to some portion of Scripture Gospel radio, television radio, uh, television gospel, internet broadcast. Why? Because of the United States of America. So I think that's one reason why God's blessed us, because we, are, we have organizations and the church is sending out missionaries to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though I will tell you that we have hit a tipping point where Christians in other nations are now sending missionaries to the United States. Reason number two, I believe it's because our nation was founded on God's word. Psalm 33.12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And up until the last 65 years, our government leaders have often exhibited a humble reliance on God. Let me give you some examples. George Washington, the first president of the United States, said, and I quote, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Did you know he said that? Uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was by no means a pious, born-again believer. By no means. We all like Benjamin Franklin, but that dude was a party animal. And I'm talking about at a high level. You should have seen him in the courts of France. Okay, we just won't go there. And yet, you can be an ungodly man and still recognize truth. And Benjamin Franklin said, The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of the truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And without his aid, we shall succeed in this political building. And he was talking about the founding of America. Without his aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. President Woodrow Wilson in 1911 said, America was born a Christian nation. Could you imagine a president saying that today? America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Scriptures. I'd love to have a president that would say that publicly today. President Calvin Coolidge said, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in those teachings would cease to be practiced universal in our country. Isn't that amazing? They're not teaching this in your elementary schools. Now, I know that we are not a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. My God, we're Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, we, we've killed 60-something million babies. We have blood on our hands. The spirit of Moloch rules our nation, which was, the, which was the God that they sacrificed babies to. And I know that, that people like to think, you know, well, we're a godly nation. No, what, where, where do you live? What are you watching? We are light in a dark world, in a dark country. But I still believe that we are blessed because at least our foundations were right. As a matter of fact, our constitution was based on judeo uh, Christian principles. I mean, that, that's a fact. Reason number three, I think that we are a blessed nation because we have been a friend of the Jewish people. 
America's support of Israel has been built, again, on the Judeo-Christian heritage of our nation. What is that? The Bible says they're God's people. The Bible says that Palestine is their land. Our, their land. Let me tell you about President Harry Truman. Um, and I read David McCullough's tremendous historical work. You all know I tell you I'm a historical history buff. Uh, David McCullough wrote a tremendous work on Harry Truman. Uh, in 1947, 1948, Israel became a nation. By the way, fulfilled biblical prophecy. The, 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 uh, one of the prophets said, Shall Israel, uh, can a nation be born in a day? And yet Israel, and he says in essence, shall be born in a day. Well, in a day, by the Balfour Declaration, and then in 1948, Israel was born in a day. And so in the spring of 1948, Harry Truman, now, you, now you've got this new nation on the world scene. Nobody knows what to do with them. And Harry S. Truman is at a crossroads. Do I recognize this new nation of Israel or not? And here's what he said, I quote, The United States recognizes the provisional government as de facto authority of the new state of Israel. And he made that stand worldwide. Why? Because Truman was a student of the Bible, and he felt that the Jews had a legitimate historical right to Palestine. And he would cite Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8 as proof. Behold, I have given up the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. By the way, would you like a little history side note? There were several secretaries of state under Harry Truman. One of them was George Marshall. You probably remember studying about the Marshall Plan in history. George Marshall was against the establishment of the state of Israel, vehemently against it. And in a cabinet meeting, President Truman was discussing with them that he was seriously considering recognizing Israel, the nation of Israel, worldwide, giving them credence from the United States of America. George Marshall got worked up in that cabinet meeting and tried to talk President Truman out of it and eventually said to him, this is a historical fact, if you do this, I will not vote for you. I will vote against you in the next election. Now, how's that for some pressure from a cabinet member? And, you know, God has kept his promise to America. Since 1948, we've supported Israel. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I think that still stands. So God has been good to us because we've been good to Israel. Now, I take time to tell you all that because here's what I want to say to you next. That in spite of God's blessings and in spite of the fact that we are a blessed nation, it's interesting to me that America is absent in Bible prophecy. We're a superpower. We're the man on the world stage. You would think that we would be in, in there somewhere, and yet the USA is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. As a matter of fact, no country in North or South America is mentioned at all. And you have to remember, we're the new kids on the block. I mean, we're only 250 years old. These other countries, they've been around for a long, long time. Civilizations have been around for thousands of years. Now, I will teach you this. There is a possible illusion to the United States in the, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. And Ezekiel describes what is called the Battle of Haman Gog. And most scholars try in trying to identify these countries, Gog and Magog and different ones, feel very positively, most scholars still believe that it is Russia and her allies that are attacking Israel in the Battle of Haman Gog. Now what scholars cannot come to agreement on is when does the battle of Haman Gog take place? Does it happen before the tribulation, or does it happen during the tribulation? And so there is evidence both ways. It is very possible that before the rapture, we could see the battle of Haman Gog. By the way, just so this makes sense to you, Russia, if this is Russia and her allies, it's talking about Iran and Turkey, Syria. Well, guess where Russia has allies or who Russia has allies with Turkey Iran Syria so it's already set up with alliances that if Russia and these allies decided to attack Israel the the relationships are already there 
Isn't it cool? It's a little scary, but isn't it cool when you start reading the newspapers and you say, wow, it matches up with the Bible. Now, where does the U.S. come into this? Well, I'm going to show you a scripture. should be up, Ezekiel 38, 13. In the middle of that prophecy, this is an interesting text. Sheba, Dedan, notice this, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions, that's the one you got to look at, will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Just leave that up on the screen. So if you break that down, and again, sometimes in the Bible, you know, we're trying to figure things out. This is very ancient work. A lot of times things are crystal clear. But the merchants of Tarshish, Tarshish, and I did a study on this. There are actually three possible locations for Tarshish. Tarshish. And, and, and you remember the story of Jonah? And you remember Jonah wanted to get just as far away from God as he could, so he got on a ship to go to the furthest city that he could go to. And you remember where he went to? Tarshish. And so there are three locations. It is Tartaros, if I remember right. There is a location in Spain, in the Mediterranean, that's, modern, that's Tarshish. It's called Tartaros. It was Tarshish. It was known as it would have been the furthest point out. So it's the country of Spain. It possibly, scholars say, could even be further north. It could include England. Are you with me? So at least Spain, possibly England, would be the merchants of Tarshish. Now, it talks about all their young lions. Those are the nations that flow from young lions, that's your offspring, that come out of Spain and England. Who settled the new world first? Spain and England. So you have America possibly alluded there as part of this verse. That's as close as you're going to get. And you say, well, you're, you're stretching a little bit. Absolutely. We're stretching it right here. But this is as close as I can get you to possibly, and again, we don't fight in this battle because they're questioning him. Have you come to take plunder, da-da-da-da? And what these countries are doing, they're not fighting. They're questioning and challenging diplomatically the army of Russia. Okay? So that's as close as I can get you to possibly. But the reality is I can't find America anybody. No, other, other scholars have studied this. So why? That's the question we have to ask today, and I'm going to close with this. Why is America absent in end-time biblical prophecy? Just bear with me. I, this is, that was all kind of an introduction to get into the meat of this. Why aren't we there? So let me, let me give you some possibilities. I don't have a definitive answer, of course. I've got one I feel really, really strong about, and it'll be my last point. But here's the first possibility. Perhaps we will be attacked by an outside force or subjugated by some outside force. And some people have suggested that America will suffer a nuclear attack before the Great Tribulation that will take us out. Some have suggested a weapon of mass destruction. Others have said it could be a major catastrophe. Some have said dirty bombs placed in all of our major cities uh, going off. Could, all of that could rate us a second power overnight. Now, is, is there possibilities to all of those? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure there are possibilities. And thank God for our government and our government agencies that are always on the lookout trying to stop these things in advance. And, and I'll just tell you, they're doing things that if you knew everything they were doing, you couldn't sleep at night. Knowing the, the, the situations they're cutting off before it ever gets to develop. And, and so, yeah, could that happen? And, and look, we saw the effects of 911. For those of you who are living then, when, when those, everybody remembers where they were on September 11th and watching those planes crash into the, into the World Trade Towers and then into the Pentagon. I've been to Shanksville uh, twice and been where Flight 93 went down. That, that plane went down 20 minutes from where I grew up in Pennsylvania. And, and it's just a massive crater in the, in the side of a mountain in a big field. Uh, that that plane went down. We, we've, we saw that we could suffer an attack. It happened. Uh, North Korea is firing test missiles, test firing missiles with the ability to reach Alaska with nuclear warheads. You know, things right now are somewhat tense between the United States and China. 
So is there that possibility? Look, I, I'm not looking for Red Dawn, okay? But I got my AR-15. I'm ready to go, babe. Along with my 270, my 30 out six, my 243, my 245s, my 9M Glock, and my 1873 Cattleman replica Peacemaker Colt pistol, to name a few. I am Southern boy, ain't I? <laughs> A second possibility. This one, give me a little bit of time. It is possible we, we may just do the job ourselves. We may just destroy ourselves from within. In other words, we will implode from moral decay and overwhelming evil in our society. Let me just show you some things, and I could throw up numbers and graphs, but I'm just going to let you listen to me. The average lifespan of the world's greatest civilizations has been about 200 years. So we're, we're on borrowed time already, 250. And every great civilization, where it's the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, every great civilization has gone through, has progressed through a sequence. Let me, let me show you what it is. They start in bondage. And they move, this is very interesting, to some kind of spiritual faith. You say, even, even in Babylon and Pertin, mm -hmm. okay, they moved to, it's not our kind of spiritual faith, but they moved to a spiritual faith. They move from spiritual faith to great courage. They go from great courage to fighting and they get liberty. Sounds like America, doesn't it? They go from liberty to abundance. Then they move from abundance to complacency. Then they move from complacency to apathy. Here's the scary one. Then they move from apathy back to dependence. And from dependence, you go back into bondage. And I worry that our country right now has tipped over on the bell curve, and we're sliding down the slope. Oh, we still have plenty and abundance in this land, but we have definitely become complacent, and we've become apathetic, and we want the easy way. You can't, you can't get people to work anymore, get people to, to serve in the military. You can't get people to even sign up and play sports because they're too busy at home playing video games. We, we, we don't do anything with commitment. We're complacent. We become apathetic. We want the easy way. We want, and we're getting to where we want the government to do everything for us. Now, I'm not here to do a government thing, but I'm just saying that's, that's where we are at in America. Now, some of you said, not me, I'm a worker. You're right, but you're becoming, you're becoming an anomaly. Because there are a lot of people just say, I don't want to do anything. Just let the government give me everything. And when the government eventually takes away everything and gives you everything, that's what's called bondage. In his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, most people have ever heard of that book, Edward Gibbon gives several reasons why Rome fell. And it's interesting, his top two reasons are these. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home. Sound familiar? Number two, the decay of religion. In the state of Washington recently, they have passed a law that if a child decides they want to have a transition, a transgender transition, they don't have to ask their parents. Their parents have no power. They can go talk to a counselor, and that counselor will help them make that transition no matter how far they want to go, and the parents can't do one thing about it. You want to go live in Washington? Dr. Carl Zimmerman, who was an American sociologist in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, identified 11 symptoms of final decay in the fall of both the Greek and Roman civilization. See if this sounds 
tremendously familiar. Eleven signs. You ready? No fault divorce. Increased disrespect for parenthood and parents. Just gave you an example. Meaningless marriage rites and ceremonies. We took care of that a few years ago, didn't we? Redefining marriage in this country. Defamation of past national heroes. Just a few years ago, we were tearing down statues. And they're trying to rewrite history. And all of, the, all of our national heroes are now bad guys. Great. So we don't have anybody to serve as examples or models to our kids. What are we doing? There are no perfect people. But the writers of the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, most of those people lost so much. Lost everything to found this nation where you could give your dumb opinion. And my dumb opinion. Because sometimes my opinions are dumb. Five, acceptance of alternative marriage forms. There you go. Widespread attitudes of feminism, narcissism, and hedonism. Propagation of anti-family sentiment. This is what happened in Greece and Rome. Acceptance of most forms of adultery. Rebellious children. Increased juvenile delinquency. Did y'all see all those teenagers take over the streets of Chicago recently? going crazy I told you one of our pastors took his wife and went up there for a trip spent the, several days in Chicago came home and then all that happened I said boy did you get out of there just in time tourists having to be guarded by police officers trying to get back to their motels where are the parents there's a bunch of kid needs to be whooped there's some whoopings that need to go on I heard a comedian tell one time where some other kid did something to his mother disrespectful in the mall. He was a black comedian. Terrence, that made it more fun. And he said, one of, there's another black woman standing there with their daughter, or his, I mean her son. And he said, she starts going, mm-mm, she's watching somebody. She said, you better never do that. And she's, she's whooping her child for what the other kid did. It's funny from the comedian. I think it was Sinbad or somebody. She started whooping him. He didn't even do anything wrong. Maybe that's what we need to do is spake our kids just in case. She might have been on to something. The last one, common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion. L-G-B-T-Q. All I have to say is Dylan Mulvaney. That's bad when you can say that man's, that man's name. And everybody knows that's terrible. In our nation, prayer and the Bible removed from the schools. Lawsuits have been filed to remove under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. The Ten Commandments have been eliminated from public buildings. The motto, in God we trust, is attacked constantly in the courts. Christmas carols have been removed from school plays. Merry Christmas has been replaced with Happy Holidays. These are just my examples. President Herbert Hoover said, and I quote, Our greatest danger is not from invasion by foreign armies. Our dangers are that we commit suicide from within by compliance with evil. We could take ourselves out all by ourselves. Here's a third reason. It's a possibility. I don't know that it'll happen, but it's worth considering. Y'all came here to hear something. Perhaps we'll be absorbed by the European Union. Now, I know that sounds far-fetched. 
But remember, many of our citizens have European heritage. Do, do you, and, and if you don't do this, let me, I'm going to teach you something. Our political leaders constantly, if you just stay up with the news, continually reach to Europe and to their governments and to their government programs for ideas to bring back to America and to, and to initialize here to try to make us like Europe. I'm telling the truth. They're, they do it all the time. National health care? Oh, they want to talk about Switzerland and some of these nations and how effective it is. They're all the time bringing it. We had a revolution to break away from those people. We told King George, you can stick it in your ear. Your taxes, taxation without representing, you can take it all. We don't want, we're breaking free. And now our leaders are trying to make us back like Europe. It's not so far-fetched. You know, we're already connected to the European Union militarily through NATO. But here's the one I'm worried about. Don't you think this can't happen? If our dollar should fall or our economy destabilize, the United States may be forced to incorporate with the European Union to survive economically. Now, that's far-fetched. I'm granting that. But just recently in the news, after a 48-year relationship solely with the United States dollar, Saudi Arabia, one of our biggest producers of oil, because our leaders won't let us manufacture our own, why you want to commit yourself and tie yourself to somebody else makes no sense to me. Why, if I can grow my own garden and have my own vegetables, am I not allowed to do that, but I have to go to your garden and pay you $12 for a tomato? After a 48-year relationship with the U.S. dollar, this is in the news. Saudi Arabia's finance minister said the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is now open to trading in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. And guess who moved in like a buzzard? China. And China is now working with Saudi Arabia trying to get them to use the... I don't even know. You, some of you travel to China. Is it the Yan? It's spelled Y-U-A-N. But you pronounce Yen? Well, spell it Y-E-N then. I didn't K in K no. <laughs> like the English language isn't ever all over the place. Look, do I think that's going to happen? No, but if something like this did happen and for some reason the dollar crashed and the European the euro becomes the world market because I think that would be part of the battle of the great tribulation. I think the euro which is much stronger. But if that would happen, look, just while I'm going down this road of possibilities, I really don't think it's going to happen. But what if we ended up incorporating, guess what? Because I think the European Union, I think that is representative of, of the 12 toes of Daniel's image, what scholars call the revised Roman Empire. It is out of the organization, the, out of the civilization, the countries, or the, or the group out of which the Antichrist will rise. If that would happen, guess what? The United States would be in the camp with the Antichrist if we merged with the European Union. You better pray that doesn't happen. So it's 11 o'clock. I knew this would be long, and I hope you're not getting tired, but I have a lot today. I'll, I'll try to do better the next two weeks, but I just, there's a lot to this. Here's my last point. What, what, why do I think the United States is not 
anywhere in biblical prophecy. Let me give you what I really, fully, truly believe. I think the number one cause of, of us being removed from the scene is that we will be crippled and removed as a major player on the world scene simply because of the rapture of the church. When the rapture takes place, it will cripple this nation. I'll go quickly. It is estimated that if the rapture occurred right now, America would lose 70 million people instantly. That's over 25% of our, our nation's population. 25%. And all the Christians, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I'm one of those that believe that children under the age of accountability, whatever that is, will go in the rapture. And so if that's the case, all of your children are gone, and if the age of accountability is up to 19 or 20 years old, then your entire young adults are gone. In a moment, the righteous, the salt and the light will be removed from a society. All the good people are gone. And furthermore, the next generation will be removed so you have a childless society. What will happen when the rapture occurs? It will affect every area of society. Bear with me and let my imagination and let your imagination roll. Let's talk about business. Employers and employees will be gone. Businesses won't be able to function because they'll be missing so many personnel. The stock market will crash the day of the rapture. It will crash. There will be a run on the banks and everybody will be pulling their money out on the day Jesus comes back. There will be no food in the grocery stores. You thought COVID was bad? There'll be no food. We'll wipe it all out in a day, and it won't get replenished. There will be no gas at the gas stations. There will be no medicine at the pharmacy. We'll wipe all that out. And you won't be able to work, some of you, and if you can't work, you can't get paid. So guess what? You don't have any money. That's just business. What do you think that would do to this nation? Communications. Let's talk about that. Phone lines will be overloaded. So you cannot send or receive a call. And an inability to communicate will destroy businesses and fuel chaos. Because I think the internet will be overloaded. And so you won't be able to do business. You won't be able to contact people. There will be chaos, confusion. Nobody knows the deadlines. Nobody knows where to go, what to do. Everything will shut down. Education. We have a lot of teachers and administrators in this church. If all the children are gone, your job is done. There are no schools. Schools are closed. No students. And many of your teachers and administrators will be gone. The schools will be closed. Let's talk about law and order. Police and military forces will be decimated because you have people in the military and police officers who are, who are born-again Christians. There will be rioting in the streets like we have never seen before. Looting. Martial law will be implemented immediately. And I don't know if they can get it. I don't know if it's going to be possible to get law and order reestablished. People will shoot one another to protect their property from desperate thieves. You may have to shoot your neighbor. Because they're trying to get in your house if they find out you've got food and they don't. Buildings will burn to the ground because there are not enough firemen. Trash won't be picked up. Mail won't be delivered. Packages won't arrive from Amazon. <laughs> this is terrible. But people will commit suicide at an alarming rate when the rapture takes place. When parents, loving parents who wouldn't take their kids to church and wouldn't serve God... Suddenly, Jesus snatches them and leaves them behind. It'll be more than some parents can handle. Local, state, and federal governments will be unable to function. It'll be chaos in this country. How about transportation? Planes, cars, and semi-trucks will crash because they are pilotless or driverless. And so multitudes will be killed on the highways. Cars will be everywhere. It will be impossible to drive Gas prices will soar, and it'll reach a point where gas will be unavailable. And so you won't be able to get around. You'll be stuck. How about family life? This is what it will be like when the rapture takes place and you're left behind. You will have to go into survival mode, and only the strong will survive. Sick and elderly folks will die from lack of medical care. 
Spoiled, urbanized citizens will be clueless how to survive without technology or services. Meanwhile, all the South Carolina rednecks will find a way. All the rednecks said, listen, you're not supposed to be here. You shouldn't be amening. Gotcha. Because of the rapture, the U.S. will be incredibly weakened as a nation. We have, you know, we're the world's police, but I'll tell you, on that day, we'll pull every ship, every armed services, all the armed services personnel, we will pull them back to the nation and go immediately into a defensive posture, and we will in one day no longer be a world superpower. And I believe this will make way for the Antichrist and the European Union. Now you say, well, what about the rest of the world? They'll be, they'll be going through this. No, they won't. Because Europe, the continent now, that's not a nation, that's a continent. Just kidding some of y'all. Europe is a Christless continent. I got some folks that are here that have European connections telling the truth. Churches over there, they've turned them into nightclubs. Nobody goes to church. Nobody knows the gospel. It's a Christless nation. Russia, a Christless nation. All the Islamic nations, they're not Christian. They serve Allah. When the rapture takes place, they'll be fine. Russia will be fine. Europe will be fine. Guess what other nation will be fine? China. Now, there are millions of Christians in China, but there are millions more that are not. And who are the world players in the Bible? Europe, Russia, Islam. Some nation from the east crosses the Euphrates River and comes into the Battle of Armageddon. Sounds like China. They're the major players. They'll feel little impact. But America, it will take us out. So, Pastor Billy, come and find something that fits. the God of the breakthrough. I wouldn't tell my age. I'd sing signs of the times are everywhere. <laughs> There's a brand new feeling in the air. Lift up your head, redemption draweth nigh. Now this kind of preaching, teaching can be fascinating and horrifying. And some of you right now may be unsettled and unnerved. But if you are born again and you're living for Jesus, I know you don't always get it right. I know sometimes you fail and falter. I understand that. But you keep short accounts and you're keeping it under the blood. And you won't turn your back on it. Y'all, I've come too far to turn my back on him. There are no other options. If you're born again, you have nothing to fear because you won't be here. Because Jesus has returned to resurrect the dead saints and catch up the living saints because you will be in heaven with the Lord when it happens that's the rapture I'll be preaching this next week and I'm going to take you through what actually happens when the Lord comes back I want to take you through piece by piece I'm going to be preaching this text next week but I'm going to show it to you this week as a bridge 1 Corinthians chapter 4 put this on the screen please for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up 
snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever. Never to be separated. Never to be parted. But forever and ever, so shall we be with Jesus. Hallelujah. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to worry about all these things. Just keep living in hope. Keep saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. However, if you are here this morning or you're watching online and you aren't born again and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're living in sin, you're doing your thing, you keep telling yourself one day, somewhere up the road, I know I should do it, but I'm just having too much fun. I don't know if I'm really willing to make that commitment. You're, you're, you're going through all the things. Listen to me. If the rapture took place right now, and I'll be talking about again this again next week, you'll be left behind. You would be in an empty auditorium and say there's five or six people here. I'm just going to use that five or six of you right now this place would go empty and you'd be the five or six sitting in your chair oh you could run to the altar and fall on your face and cry out to God and he'd forgive you people will get saved during the tribulation lots of people read revelation it talks about the tribulation saints they're martyred for their faith but it would be too late you would go through everything that I just preached and talked about. You would experience the horror of the tribulation. You'd say, Pastor, what, what should I do? I'll tell you what to do. This is where I like to preach the gospel. You need to repent of your sins. Tell God what he already knows. I'm a sinner and I need help. Please forgive me take my sins away. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I give my life to you. I'm turning from sin. And if you'll call on the Lord, He will save you and cleanse you. He said, now Pastor, you, you're making an appeal, appeal out of fear, aren't you? Yeah! You're right. When I go fishing, sometimes this time of year, I'll use a spinnerbait. You catch them. And then sometimes I'll grab a blue glimmer fluke and I'll catch it. I threw a spinnerbait this week a good bit and they wouldn't bite it. So I picked up a fluke and I started throwing it and I wore them out. Your pastor can fish. Bible says some snatching out of the fire with fear and that's not why you ought to serve him you might be unnerved and scared right now but that's not why you ought to give your life to the Lord you need to give your life to the Lord because you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell and he loves you and you can have the best thing in this world walking with Jesus that's why you can have a relationship with God that's why you want to get saved not so you can miss not miss the rapture. But I'm telling you today, if you cry out to him, he'll save you. And if you get saved, you'll be ready when Jesus comes to get his bride, the church of the living God. I want you to stand with me this morning. I appreciate you letting me go a long time. And, and, I, and I won't go that long again, but I just knew this would be long. You seem to have handled it very well. And I appreciate it. We, we, we speakers always talk about the mind can only take what the seat can endure. I'm glad those are padded chairs. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to do it this way because I feel that in my spirit. Is there anybody in this house today that will say, Pastor Chris, I am in sin. If the rapture happened right now, I'd go through everything you've talked about. 
I'm not ready, but I want to be ready. I want to be saved. If that's you, throw your hand up as high as you can and hold it there. Let me see. God bless you. God bless you. I see you two in the front row. You put your hand down. Anybody else, raise your hand. I need to be saved. Throw it high so I can see it. I'm looking. Yes, I see you over here, son, to my right. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? There's some honest people today. Pastor, I need to be saved. Throw it up high. Come on, why do you want to live in sin? Why would you want to go through all that? When Jesus came, God sent his son, died on the cross to save you from your sins. So you can have a right relationship with the Lord. It's wonderful. I'm telling you, it's the most wonderful thing in the world, living for Jesus. For those who raise their hand, we're going to help you pray. I want us all to pray the sinner's prayer, and I want those who raise their hand, I want you to pray this prayer. Now, we're going to all say it, but I want you to say it to God. And mean it from your heart and have faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. God's going to give you salvation. You can't earn it. All you'd have to do is say, I put my trust, my confidence, my faith in what Jesus did. What Jesus did is enough. And if I believe on it and put my hope and trust in it, then God will honor that and God will forgive me of my sins. That's how you're saved, by faith. So everybody, everybody pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know you know that. I know that. I'm ashamed. I'm so sorry. But I want to be saved. Please forgive me. Please take all my sins away. I'm sorry for what I've said. Sorry for what I've done. Sorry for the way I've acted. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be right. I want to be clean. Wash me. Cleanse me. Change me, oh God. I believe that Jesus died, rose again, that his death is the basis for my salvation. My hope, my confidence is in what he did. So I repent of my sins. I turn my back on sin. I'm going to live right. And right now, I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. You're the leader. Whatever you say, That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the rest of my life, Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost, living for Jesus. So thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking me as your child. Come on, say it. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I'm saved. In Jesus' name, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, somebody give God praise. This preacher's about to shout right now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.